0: so nice they say bye-bye right now they don't always do that well um, good morning and it is good to be in the Lord's house together this morning I do want to mention uh, tonight just uh, again invite you out at our communion service this evening and a sweet time of fellowship as we uh, testify of God's goodness and if you're uh, planning on being here uh, then think about his goodness throughout this day Uh, we offer opportunity to testify and Many times we're trying to search in the back of our minds. I know I'm thankful to God for something. Uh, so we'll give you a little time of preparation for that, but also a great time of singing and and uh, and then of course a special time of uh, taking communion together. And so let me just invite you to that. Also, this coming Wednesday night we have a, a special speaker uh, going to be uh, bring the word to us this coming Wednesday night from Romania. Uh, Johnny Bordia will be. Uh, Teaching this Wednesday night. I know he would be greatly encouraged to have you come out and support him uh, and pray for him as he uh, makes preparation for that. And, um, uh, and we all would be greatly encouraged as we come out and pray together uh, and, and lift up our petitions to one another. Last thing, let me mention Phil and Elan Henderson, our missionaries, will be here on the 23rd uh, Sunday morning and uh, share a, a bit of uh, update on their ministry And what's going on there, they've not been able to go overseas, of course, Elan, going through uh, cancer a year ago, and and so it would be good to catch up with them and see how things are going, how the Lord's working in their life, so uh, um, just uh, keep that in the back of your mind, that's two Sundays from now. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, we're going (coughs) to read the first three verses this morning. Lord willing, we'll deal with the first two this morning and the third verse this evening uh, in our communion uh, time in the Word. So um, I'll just kind of give you a preview of that. Verse number one, the Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. this passage is to us this morning, even, uh, even as we gather here together as your people, but uh, also as it is the beginning of the year for us, and our minds are already set in thinking about life and, and, and even contemplating where we are in life. So we just pray that you'd let this have its uh, perfect work among us, even this morning, through your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, I know not all of us are the same, but for many of us, we take the last few weeks of December and the first few weeks of January, partly because we're not fully settled what we want to do in January, so we linger it on a little bit, uh, as we take an assessment or, or an overview of our life, where we're at in life, what we've been through over the past year, and sometimes that is a great uh, a time of great thanksgiving. And praise to God and, and celebration as we think about the encouragement that God has offered us and, and the things that he has led us through throughout the year. Other times, if we're honest, it is a time of course correction. We look at our lives and we evaluate. We're not sure we're happy with the trajectory that our life is headed. And so we, we need to make some changes because the outcome, if we continue on the same path in the same manner, is not something we want. So we make those old cursed things called resolutions, right? We, we begin by uh, dealing with issues in our life, most commonly that of our health and our weight, uh, the need of exercise or more exercise, uh, uh, financial stability, or we make plans for pur- purchases that we may be planning to make throughout the year. Some of us make relational goals, relationships that we have, friendships, uh, how you invest in them and Uh, and how you have uh, failed to invest in them, whatever that may be. A lot of us deal with time management issues when it comes to the first of the year. Anyone that way? Looked over this past year and think about, well, look how much time I wasted uh, uh, and want to make the most of the time that God has given to us. Uh, Much of our wasted time today, if we're honest, is social media, entertainment, other things like that. Uh, and so we we evaluate unsatisfied with that, and we make goals, spiritual goals, reading uh, books that's this thing that has a cover on one side and a cover on the other side in the middle there's a lot of pages and words on it, uh, and so we we may make plans to read more this year, engage our mind in, in our spiritual growth. Well, the book of hebrews is is kind of like that It, it is a course correction for this church. Uh, In Rome, or thought to be in Italy or Rome, Uh, it is to a group of believers, as we have been familiar with over these past uh, over this past year, a group of believers that have been uh, dealing with a lot of uh, suffering and and awkwardness. They've been shunned and had property taken away from them. They've been excluded from the Jewish community. They're they're constantly being hammered about come back to the faith, the true faith, you know, the one that Moses gave and. And we don't know about this Jesus. In the midst of that, people uh, had already had quit coming to meeting with them. Some who had associated with them quit coming to church, and and so they've already fallen off in that way. And and so there's there's this temptation of many of them, as scholars suggest, to go backwards, to kind of walk away from Christianity, walk away from the faith, and and that temptation the writer writes to them over a course of 13 chapters to sort of correct the course if you will uh, to make a uh, an evaluation and to to give some guidance to them he does so through a series of teachings about who Jesus is and what Jesus did he he talks about the atonement and and he uh, reveals the the true nature of the priesthood and how Christ is much better than what they 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 had thought and what they had left. He explains the necessity of the cross and, and not only the necessity of the cross, its benefits as a means of our redemption. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That was true then, it's true now. And that shedding of blood is perfected not through bulls and goats or martyrs in the world today, but through one man, this one man, Jesus Christ, uh, and that is the gospel which we preach. And that is the forgiveness. And he's, he's reminding them of these things through a series of warnings of those who would neglect this salvation, those who would disobey it, those who would reject the gospel, and through examples of people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Moses. He is just trying to bring them back to sort of correct the course in their life, to Push them on, lead them on. And basically, there's like a climax here in verse number one and two, as he says, in application. So that they might run the race that God has set before them. He's calling them, the word of God, not only speaking to them in their time, is calling us to run our race that God has set before us. That's the call, isn't it? Verse number one look at it again. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great cloud of witness and really an application of chapter number 11, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run the race that God has set before us. It's a fitting illustration to us running the race reminds us not only of the running of the race, of the start of the race, and look back with me in chapter number 2. My mind was uh, thinking about running our race or the Christian race. Uh, you got to start off right if you're going to run it. One of the things he brings out to the uh, church here is that they began well. Verse number 3 of chapter number 2, uh, beginning of their start or how God came to them, the gospel came to them. He said, how shall we escape if we neglect... Such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. They began with the gospel. They had received what Jesus had taught and what he had sealed with his own blood. They'd receive what the disciples came and carried to them and what God had tested in these signs and wonders as they started. And I'm just thinking about even the call to run our race. How, what an amazing uh, joy that is to contemplate. I, I think personally in my own life how far I've ran from God and to think now that he is calling us to run towards God and running our Christian race. But that began, that race begins at the gospel. It begins in the foundation of what Christ did for us and, uh, in, uh, 2,000 years ago on the cross. They began well. Uh, the issue was they needed to continue on well. They needed to carry on. Now It is true that, that I might say this, and I don't say it lightly, but starting a thing is sometimes easy. I know there's obstacles, or there's difficulties that we face, there's costs, those things that have to be overcome. But but along with those, there's a level of excitement, a novelty, a newness to a thing which which helps overcome those obstacles. You see that in ministries, you see that in uh, in, in businesses, and those things are met with cheer uh, and joyfulness because unmet expectations haven't had the time to be unmet. Do you get that? All those expectations you have for this ministry or this thing is is still lingering out there. We're still drawing a little hope on that and we haven't been crushed yet and our feelings haven't been hurt and so on as it may go. Things don't always go our way. And so there is a a joy, there's a a fuel that comes to starting things. But here the writer is talking to those who had already began the race, already received the gospel. It's It's another thing altogether to continue on to follow through, to persevere in their running. Now, I was reading back in Ezra in my uh, reading this past week, and I'm reading the McShane, McShaney reading plan, just so you know. Not that you are asking, but I'm just telling you that. So if you want to read it, go ahead, jump ahead if you want to. Anyway. And I was reading in Ezra, What excitement they began to rebuild the temple. but how quickly in the face of opposition they left off building what God had called them to build. To go build their own homes. God has to send them another prophet and said, what are you doing? You're you're dwelling with roofs over your house in the temple of God. My house is laying desolate. It's not right. You see, the, the call that the writer is calling us to, the word of God is calling us to, is to persevere, to continue on. Last year we celebrated ABC, uh, our church, being 30 years uh, of history behind it, 30 years of road that has been ran. We, we celebrate that, and we should celebrate those mile markers. And, 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 and it's not a new work that we see here, but the challenge for us is not just in that celebration, but in, in moving forward and continuing on in gospel ministry and faithfulness. Again, it is easy to start a thing. It's another thing to see it through and carry it on. Missions and ministries start up all the time, but, but you see the end of those things continually. The end of those things, it calls for perseverance. But it's not just true in Bible studies and, and youth groups and all the other programs that we tend to start with eagerness. They should be carried on with, with zeal and perseverance and patience. But it's also true in people's lives, isn't it? You did not read, I'm sure, when Pastor Ed finished in verse number 8 in Second Timothy, but he follows on through the next two verses and he reminds us of a gentleman who once who warred with Paul, walked with him, worshipped with him, preached with him, served with him. And, and he makes this statement about Demas that he, he forsaken me. He started well. He forsaken me for the love of this world. And how many countless faces that we've probably seen in this church auditorium, we've seen throughout church history, we've seen in our own lives that have began well, started well, but they have not kept the course. It's the continuation thing that they're called to do. I remember years ago, I had um, heard of a young man who went through a terrible accident and so we're in the process, God spared his life. He he was healed through a lot of surgeries. He was very excited about the Lord and and he felt like God was calling him to preach and he needed a job and I was self-employed and I needed help. But but I also wanted to pour into a young man like that, a, a minister. Maybe I could help him a little bit along the way. And so um so I called him up and gave him a job. He worked for me. He was very excited, and I was I, I, literally driving to work, we, we drove over this mountain. And, and I was going to say hill, but it's actually a mountain. But anyway, we drove over this mountain as we was driving over the mountain. That's the moment I picked him up to the moment we got to the job. He preached at me the whole way. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm really excited. I'm good at all that. And he's telling what Adrian Rogers says and everybody else said. And, and one more, I just finally said, you know, I'd like to just have a normal conversation with you. And not to kind of throw water on him, I said, calm down just a little bit and let's talk about life and your faith and all this other stuff, you know. And so we got to talking. Bought him a suit. If you're a preacher, you need a suit, Johnny. Okay. You're just going to need one at some point. You don't need one Wednesday night because they'll make fun of you like they do me, but you need a suit. I bought him a suit. Let him come and teach a Wednesday night at a church. I was really excited for him within the space of a year, not even that much, eight months to a year, a year and a half he 's already got a child out of wedlock he 's walked away from the lord he 's living in the world all of this right before my very eyes I'm thinking, i 'm thinking to myself, What in the world did I do wrong well it isn 't me. He began well he he started out with zeal and fervency. The issue in his life is he didn't continue on. He didn't run the race that was set before him that he's encouraging him to. He he started off jumping high and shouting and and, and with a fervent heat, but it all died out. I'm not saying the young man is lost, and, and I know he struggled ever since then. And, and and he would confess that he's a Christian. There's a tragedy in his life. He's calling in. He's calling these Christians, he's calling you and I this morning, not just to start well, but to keep on running, keep on trusting, keep on believing, run the race that God has set before you. It implies a a continuation of a thing. It's something we need to be reminded of, not just every year, but, but constantly. And one of the things the Word of God does is it calls us back to faithful living, faithful running, doesn't it? Continually correcting our course, continually keeping us on our path through the many ways it speaks to us. And I love that about the word of God. It doesn't just have one voice. Sometimes in its sharpness and sometimes in its sweetness, all of which come to us, calling us back to the race that God has set before us. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. It is a race which he calls us to, which is run with endurance run with endurance why do we need endurance because it is difficult and some of you love running uh, and, and some people on the road love running despite all warnings of it's very dangerous out there running nevertheless some of us we look like we uh, need to run I, it's I shouldn't have said that out loud <laughs> <laughs> some of us would like to run that's what I meant to say amen forgive me Everything that comes to your head, Pastor, it isn't from the Lord. <laughs> but it is a difficult thing. It calls for endurance. It calls for endurance. It's difficult because of the day in which we live in. We read in, in 2 Timothy that the days in which we live are evil, surrounded with the possibility of persecution. He calls... Uh, Timothy to be faithful in season and out of season we live in a society that it's found its season the favorable season of running the Christian race has passed we're living in a time in this nation where it is not so favorable it is not so praiseworthy and yet it is in this same season in this same day and with the difficult that we face that we're called to keep on running I think A.W. Pink's words sharply put it this way, The Christian life is not a thing of passive luxuriation, but of active fighting, the good fight of faith. The Christian is not called to lie down on flowery bed of ease, but to run a race. And athletics are strenuous, demanding of self-sacrifice hard training, the putting forth of every ounce of energy possessed. I'm afraid in this work-hated, pleasure-loving age, we do not keep this aspect of truth sufficiently before us. We take things too placidly and lazily. Jim's the one that turned me on to that commentary a while back, asked me if I read it, and then you read something like that, you wonder, maybe I shouldn't have read it. But he's right. God has called us to run the race of endurance, and it is in itself a difficult race because of the day we live in, and it's difficult because of the distance we got to go. It's not just a, a sprint. We're not just running down the road, two miles, three miles, whatever it may be. It is a lifelong pursuit From the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you've been born again by the work of the Holy Spirit to the moment you see him face to face, the Bible says run the race that God has set before you. Continually keeping your eyes on the prize, knowing that in the midst of this, on every high and low and everywhere in between, we're called to run and to keep on running, keep on believing, keep on trusting until Christ comes or until we finish our course with Paul. It's difficult because of the duration. It's difficult because of the day we live in, but it's also difficult because of the distractions we face. Notice with me in verse number one we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to so closely, which clings so closely to us. And we're called to run and and the writer gives us the image of the games, of the athletics of that day. And the the runners would take off their robes and their garments. And they would run without all the stuff that would trip them up. By the same language in, in other places, we, we're told to gird up our loins. and to tie up the loose ends of our robes so we can move freely and function as we need to. Here he's using that same illustration to us that, that it is our our... Weights, are the things in our life that, that are weights, and it is our sin which cling to our body and cause us to be tripped up and stumble along the way. It's like swimming with your work boots on, blue jeans. It's just impossible. You can't do that. And so he says, in order for us to run our race and the difficulty of running our race is is these weights in our life and these sins in our life. And some look at these as the same thing. The, The weights in our lives are really the sins which, the sin in our life which besets us. It could be true. I think it's better to hold these two things separate. Weight is those things that hold us down which in and of themselves are not sins. Those things which pull us away from following after Christ and pursuing Him and our spiritual disciplines that that pull us back from our uh, pursuit of godliness. Those things are good and those things that that in some ways can be honorable and helpful and yet uh, in in our case, in many cases, uh, they're not so good and honorable. Because we're people who like to take things to extreme, aren't we? we? We like to overuse a thing and, and oftentimes we like to abuse them. I don't know what it is in your life. and There's no need for me to pry into, but I pray the spirit of God would open your eyes to those things in your life because I think we all have those. Those things that are not helpful at all. Pull us away. Our pursuit of relaxation, our hobbies, our desire for entertainment and love of sports. Social media, the news are consuming us and taking us away and, and, and hindering us in our trust of God and pursuit of holiness. It's not these things are bad and, or they're bad for someone else, but in your case or in my case, any number of these things hinder us and, and, and impede our progress in the Christian walk. Distractions we must put away from us. But not only do we see the weights in our life, he, he speaks about the sin. Sin in particular, maybe a besetting sin, the sin which, which you fight with. It just seems to stay so close to you. Everything that trips you up over and over, you're praying and asking God for deliverance from and help from and to, to help beat those temptations in your life. Just like weights are different, those sins in our lives are different as well. What overtakes you may not overtake me. And that just reminds me in you this morning, don't be quick to judge others. Don't be so quick to judge others. Now, I know there's some sins that are obvious, and how true that is. Lust, pornography, substance abuse. I mean, we we can see that a mile away, can't we? Some of those are hidden But many of those are hard to justify even in our life, even if they're hidden from others. They pull us back and, and hinder us from living the Christian life, hinder us from obedience to Christ, hinder us in our spiritual progress. I just want to remind you tonight, church, or this morning, I'll remind you tonight too if you want, but to, this morning, that they run with a lot of other people. They got a lot more family than just those big bold sins that we need don't forget the lying and bitterness and the unforgiveness that we harbor in our heart and backbiting and laziness and pride which manifests itself in all our lives in different ways we live in a small town and what are the sin of gossip i'll just leave that there you see we look at this pursuit and running our race, and what hinders us, what what slows our progress, is those things that distract us, the sins in our life. And he's saying that if we're to run our race, we've got to let it go, lay it aside. And I think, rightfully said, is one of those things that we have to do continually and often, just as we have to continually put off the old man and on. The new man often continually by the renewing of our mind, uh, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. But when he speaks about sin here, I think there's something at the root of that. And what is the issue? It's unbelief. The whole letter here has been a, a rebuke against the unbelief of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Their sin is marked; is described as unbelief. They heard the word of God, yet they did not obey the word of God. Because when they heard it, they did not mix the word of God by faith. And the very thing that hinders us in our, in our run, in our race, is unbelief. I don't know why it is in an age in which we live in that skepticism is such a virtue. Like we can still be out deciding something until eternity and, and it's considered as wisdom. Kind of left out there and I keep my options open. That's the way of the, the world. And that's, it. That's, Im, that's infiltrated the church as well. And you'll never run successfully. We don't run successfully as we, we keep looking at God suspiciously. As if we might trust him or we might not. The writer is calling the church to be done with all that. Christ is faithful. God is not changed. He is trustworthy. Lay aside your unbelief and the manifestations of that in your life. And whatever sin it may be. And run your race by believing and obeying God. And that is a command to all of us. That we throw off these things. The race is difficult enough. We don't need the distractions to continue to pull us aside. But not only do we see the call of running our race, I want you to notice the encouragement that he gives us for the motivation. He does so in twofold. One, he reminds us of the motivation of the saints in chapter number 11, Abel and Enoch, Noah, Moses. Verse number one begins this way, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, Who are the witnesses? That's the question you ask. Well, he just went through a bunch of them. Moses and Abraham and Sarah, Joseph and Jacob and Isaac, those who are not named, but their deeds are recorded for us. Many of the Old Testament saints, what he he's bringing us to this place, how we run our race and run it with endurance is we, we find encouragement in that you're not running all by yourself. That the people of God have been running this race uh, from the very beginning. And that we look and draw courage from people like David and people people like Amos of you ever thought about Amos as a, as a person to encourage you? Some of you are wondering, who is that? I'm just kidding. You probably know he wrote a book in the Bible. You ought to read these guys. You're going to meet them in heaven one day, and they're going to be like, did you read my book? And you'll be like, I could never find it. <laughs> you'll have to answer for that. Now, oh, they're encouragement for us in his word. We see those who trusted God, who believed God, who who, who lived out their faith, who God used in, in amazing ways, and and who God has recorded for us that they had, he was pleased with. They're meant to be an encouragement for us. We're meant to find that and, and be reminded. And the reason, because you and I have, I don't know, maybe you're not this way. Some of you are not like that. Praise God for that. You can just thank God. Even... Testimony tonight. Thank God that I don't have a pity party personality. And some of you, some do. But isn't it the, the thing and in, in difficulty that we think no one's got it as bad as I do? No one's really been through what I've been through. No one knows exactly how I felt or feel. And we lived this past two years with words like precedented and, and all this. Others. The world has never seen it like it is under this pandemic. Like the world started three years ago. But the world has faced things like this before. People have lived through worse things than what we live through. People have made it. People have trusted God. People have been obedient. People have served him in extreme circumstances. That is an encouragement to us. Take courage in the fact that God continues to work through broken people. Just as they trusted Him and He does not change, so you and I can have the courage to trust Him in running the race that He has set before us. But the motivation goes beyond just looking at those saints of old and and sometimes saints even in our families, our loved ones, as we think back of their faithfulness and their stability. And I would say even among us, even this morning, as you think what what our brothers and sisters have gone through and you see their faithfulness, there's an encouragement there. Man, if God can sustain them, if they can trust God in the middle of all this, you know what? I can trust Him. That's why we're meant to stir up and encourage one another. That's what the church does. Amen? Three of you agree with me. That's why he's called us to live out this race together and to continue not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a a matter of some have. But even so more as the day approaches, as bad as it's getting, to, to continue to stir up and provoke one another to love and good works. We need that kind of encouragement if you're going to continue on in perseverance. You're not going to do it by yourself. You're not going to do it by yourself. You need the body of Christ. But you need a clear focus as well. Look at his verse number 2. <clears throat> he says not only do we see that motivation found in the saints of old. But we see that motivation chiefly found in Jesus. Looking to Jesus. I'm reminded of Spurgeon who gave his testimony on a wintry night as he went into that Methodist church maybe to get out of the cold. I think he may have been around 15, 16 years of age. Uh, Unlearned, unskilled preacher got up, just a layman who uh, the pastor couldn't make it, I guess, because of weather. He didn't live up here. We make it on any occasion. (laughs) Uh, And uh, he, I was just thinking of Ed, what he told me one day, but I won't share that. Maybe later. I was nervous my first year here a lot on Sunday mornings. And the preacher got up and grabbed a text out of Isaiah and it said, look to me, ends of the earth and be saved. And he said he did a horrible job homiletically preaching that text, but he kept saying, look, look to me and be saved. And I'm just saying the writer is telling you that this morning, look to me and be encouraged. It speaks of an intentional gaze, a looking away from everything else, not our feet, not ourselves, not behind us, not everything else that takes our attention. But if we're to run the race that God has set before us, we have to have a clear focus on Christ. He is the beginning of our faith, the author of our faith, and the end of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. As one theologian said it, he is the one who has blazed the trail for the faith of all the people of God. And not only is he that way seen as an example by which we may ourselves live by, he is the very one that will complete it. It will be finished in him. Brown, in his commentary, writes this, Our moral integrity is essential, but that cannot bring our faith to completion. Our devoted service is valuable. That, that cannot perfect our faith. Our spiritual experiences can be inspiring and illuminating, but Jesus is faith's only consummator. Believers rely completely on him, for he ran the greatest race right to its finish, and we can to the fullness of life only in him. They've been looking at the suffering, the persecution. They've been looking at everything else going on. They've been looking back at the Old Testament uh, way of doing things. They've been looking at it all. And the writer says, you need to look to Christ. You need to look to him. And some of you have ran sports in school. And I did that once. And they decided it wasn't my spiritual gift. But you know, when you run... Your eyes are set on the goal and set on the prize. Set forward. Your thoughts are not on I'm about to die and it's not on my side hurts and it's not on uh, all the other things that come in our mind. Your thought must be set on you have to finish. You will finish. And that's what he's saying here. Let your mind be set on Christ who will perfect you. He knows all about the race. he's ran it, despising the shame, enduring the cross, and for the joy that was set down before him, he did it all. reminding us that the endurance that this race takes and the difficulty with which we experience in the middle of this race is only temporary. there is joy on the other side. There is rest. There is a time where we say, "Like Paul, turn with me to that passage as we conclude. Second Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 7, I'm speaking of verse number 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That is, that is the goal and the desire. It ought to be the goal and desire of our heart. Whether it's set for 2022 or whether it's set for the next 10 years or until Christ comes back, run the race that's set before us because we can finish through the power and the sustaining work of Christ, our high priest, the one who will perfect us. And notice the joy henceforth is laid up for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me. Have you thought about that? God of all the earth, heaven and earth, all creation, God, God, all, all things, rewarding, giving you a crown of righteousness. Isn't that remarkable? the joy that is set before us. He doesn't say for the grim that is set before us, the nothingness that was set before us, the trial that is set before us, but for the joy. And Paul says that, that he has ran his race and he will receive a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And, and for those of us who needed him to speak a little bit further because we would say, yeah, Paul, we understand you're an apostle and you did all same, all kinds of amazing stuff. What about the normal person? works at a gas station, cleans a church, and takes out trash, or who, who watches kids in the nursery. What about the normal people who, who just has people in their home and hospitality? What about those kind of people? He said, well, this is not just for me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. And beloved, what a fitting... Pastor, this has been for my own contemplation to start at the beginning of this year to to stir me on and provoke me to continue running the race God has set before me. And that's that's my encouragement and exhortation to you this morning. Run the race. Continue on believing, trusting, following, obeying. Why? Because one day the race will be over. You'll finish your course. And you'll receive a crown of righteousness. And you know what we get to do with that? Lay it at his feet. Amen. You can't run your race unless you started it. If you've been running for God your whole life, Christ came to earth to become that way in which you can run towards God. And I would just encourage you this morning, To put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, for the rebellion in your heart and going your own way. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Receive not only that forgiveness, but that new life that He offers to you and that eternal reward which awaits. And if you're struggling here this morning and you're weary for the race that God has placed you in, take heart. Look to Christ. He will finish what he started in you. You can rely on him. Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us. Lord, we just pray that you will let the words which we have read this morning continue to stir in our hearts and remind us of what you've called us to. We just pray for any of the course corrections that the Holy Spirit has made and pointed out in our life that you would. Help us by faith, by grace, through trusting in what you have done for us, make those changes in our lives so that we might lay aside those distractions, Lord, and that we may concentrate, that we may press forward in what you've called us to do. Lord, help us as we continue to grow in grace and knowledge and the likeness of our Lord and Savior until one day we see him face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.